0: everyone, I'm Alex. And I am Paula. And we're your two hosts of Deep Space Gay. Do it. Engage. Fascinating. Steady as she goes. Today we are going to talk about the first really, really gay episode of Star Trek. We're going to talk about Amok time. And before we tell you what the episode is about, Paula will start with a little bit of an introduction and background on the episode.
1: Yes indeed I'm gonna tell you a little bit you know I'm first off I am trying we just edited two episodes the two episodes that we already recorded today and I am aware that I say you know and like all the time (laughs) I am the person who had to edit out half of them so you know you know you know trying to get it out of my system now so that I don't have to do it later.
0: Yeah, and I also wanted to apologize for everyone listening because when we edited the episodes, we realized that I continuously switch accents. (laughs) Sometimes I'm British, sometimes I'm Canadian, sometimes I'm American. I don't know why. Like, I I, I don't know why. It's just, like, maybe malfunctioning. And today it's really hot. We have, like, the hottest weekend in, like, Germany for this year, at least according to my weather app. So... Please be nice.
1: Yes, we are not on top of the game today, but we still hope that, you know, have a little bit of enjoyment out of this episode and maybe you'll learn something because I think we learned a lot of things while doing research for this episode. We even rewatched Amok Time today when it was really hot and we were laughing continuously because it's an interesting episode, which we're going to talk about right now. So Amok Time... On Netflix, it's um, the first episode of season two of Star Trek, the original series. It aired on the 15th of September 1967 and it was written by one theater, Sturgeon. I hope I'm pronouncing his name all right. He also wrote the episode "Short Eve, that I'm sure many of you have seen because it's also an iconic episode of the original series. So... Amok Time is obviously a very important episode to us and it's also very important to a lot of people in the 60s and now because it was um, basically the episode that inspired shippers to ship K slash S the first slash pairing that we're gonna talk about a lot on the show I'm pretty sure and also that we're gonna talk about later how and why this all came up, but that's why basically it's a very important episode. And yeah, I want to read you something um, that DC Fontana, also a writer for the show, said about the episode in about writer theater Sturgeon. So he said, Writer Theodore Sturgeon was trying to reveal Spock's inner human in a struggle with that what his culture, his upbringing and his half-human, half-Vulcan heritage had instilled in him about emotion and controlling it in an out-of-control situation. So that is why a lot of people really took to the episode and really liked the episode because they could see inside Spock's head something that hadn't really happened until that point because he's in control of his emotions, he's very logical, he's kind of uptight about it and this was basically the first time that you you learned a little more about Spock and also about Vulcan culture, which everyone really loved. I know that um, especially actor Leonard Nimoy really took to the episode. He got really emotional while filming it, but we're also going to talk about that a little later. I'm sorry, I'm teasing a lot of things for later right now. So um what I also want to say is that, um, of course, the writers, D.C. Fontana especially, he has been asked about the homosexual gay subtext. <laughs> That's sounds really weird. <laughs> <laughs> the subtext. <laughs> it's as if I've never talked about gay things before. So he was asked about the subtext and he said that no one intended to have any gay subtext on the show, but that he is... Aware that people are reading it in this way, and that's okay. And I think that's basically the sentiment of a lot of the TOS um, people that were involved. They were like, We filmed it as we did, but if you want to interpret it in a certain way, go ahead, do it. So, yeah, I just thought it might be interesting. And I also have another fun fact about the episode. We are obviously going to give you a summary a little later. But um, in the first draft of the episode, both Ston and Tipring after the Ponfar scene, were actually to be Spock's property in a very, what um, the article I read described as a BDSM way. <laughs> 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 they were to be, I, I'm not kidding you, they were supposed to be Spock's property because, you know, um, Ston had uh, reacted very illogically and Tipring had obviously lost the challenge so that did not make it into the episode Spock was eventually gonna set them free he was gonna give them back to Vulcan and to Pau you know his matriarch she said that that wasn't a thing that had happened before but Spock is free to do it um this did not make it into the episode for obvious reasons <laughs> I don't think it could have held up to censors in the 1960s um but now you know it's Maybe an interesting fact about your favorite Star Trek episode, and also I want to say that Theodore Sturgeon, he has been rumored for you know like a long time now that he was actually gay, but I don't think he was. Um, I didn't find anything about that, and I think people like even like it even said in the article that he was not gay, but he was a nudist, not related at all. But um, I read that apparently a
0: lot of sci fi writers in the 1960s were nudists i mean i'm not surprised because like summer of love happened in the same year the episode was released i'm going to talk about that too so i'm not really surprised i'm so sorry but star trek almost made it canonical that spock would have been the top in the relationship and that's something i will never forget
1: like me neither like yeah i think we (laughs) probably have differing opinions on the relationship dynamics in <laughs> one of our favorite ships but oh my God. we can talk about that a little later so now do you want me to give a little summary of the episode or do you want to talk about the historical context first
0: I mean maybe I should start with the historical yeah. context because that was of course first um as I said before in the end of like end of 1967. There was the famous Summer of Love and we probably all know this because like hippies and I don't know the peace sign and all these things um, it's something they have for example in Forrest Gump which was the first thing I had to think about Um, and the Summer of Love is basically a time of sexual revolution. It's a time of I don't know a social phenomenon with hippie music anti-war especially anti-Vietnam War free love. And it's also the year when the off-Broadway production of Hair started, which to me as a musical lover is really important because it's a great musical. Um, This summer, like Summer of Love, should not be, I don't know, mixed up with the long, hot summer of 1967, which might happen, because that's the time where we talk about like almost 160 race riots in the United States fighting for social equality and um, racial equality, which sadly didn't work out the way... um, they probably would have hoped for so yeah that's also really important and um one thing i don't know maybe for sci-fi is really interesting is that in the 1960s we had the new wave i don't know sci-fi movement or like new wave era of sci-fi it's like they started publishing stories and writing stories the way they have never done before with like many topics and issues that weren't popular in mainstream entertainment like the sexual revolution of women, social independence, sexual independence and um, yeah also sometimes the idea of racial justice and queer people and I'm going to st- like keep it at there because that's like mostly what in the 1960s happened especially in the end of the 1960s and 1967 especially
1: very well thank you for another history lesson i know i feel like i'm like the old person here
0: (laughs) being like history is very important (laughs) children
1: it is important y'all always remember the history book on the shelf is always repeating itself
0: bam. Mm. (laughs) yeah i can quote abba In my Star Trek podcast, (laughs) top of our game today, top of our game. Yeah, we we
1: already apologized for that, so I'm so sweaty. Me too. Let's (laughs) let's move on. The people don't want to hear about that. I don't think. (laughs) So I want to give you a summary. Like I said, we we watched it today, and I thought in case you haven't watched the episode in a while, or you haven't ever watched it, maybe maybe. What are you doing here if you haven't watched the episode? I don't know. I don't wanna I don't want you to leave. Please stay here, right here.
0: I um, mean you can leave and watch the episode and then and come, then come back. back. And what I would recommend for you, if you've seen it before and you want to rewatch it, try to watch it like on speed one point five because that's what I did today because it's really warm and I wanted to get through it. It's it's hilarious. It's like Star Trek itself is funny, but that's just peak entertainment. Do it. And if you haven't seen it, go watch it and come back. So I hope you all back now so I can tell you a little bit about
1: the episode itself obviously it starts with the I don't think they had like a cold open back in the day I think they just started with the episode huh so the episode opens to Leonard McCoy, Chip's surgeon and I think that's what Jim refers to him in that episode you know he's the CMO of the Enterprise he is worried about Spock because Spock behaves in a way that He doesn't (laughs) really do ever. He is described as restless, as nervous. He doesn't eat. So um, there's one very, I think, famous scene in the episode right at the beginning where Spock throws the plumique soup that Christine <laughs> Chapel, she's the nurse, she brings some to him because she's obviously concerned. She has a little bit of a crush on Mr. Spock and she takes the soup to him because he doesn't eat, as she tells McCoy and also the captain, Jim. And he just gets mad and throws it on the wall and everyone is very shocked because that is emotional outrage right there. So basically... Spock requests a leave of absence on Vulcan, but Jim is very hesitant to lend it to him because as he says, Spock has never requested a leave of absence ever, so he's kind of concerned. He doesn't know what's going on. He repeatedly throughout the episode asks Spock what's going on. I think he's a little bit disappointed that Spock doesn't confide in him. Um in the way that he maybe would like that Jim would confide in Spock or Bones. So yeah it continues. And there's a lot of back and forth between the two of them. Jim's very worried. Spock is behaving very emotionally. And um, the subplot or the B storyline of the episode. Is that they actually have to go to do some diplomatic mission. Um, out on Altair 6. Which is out of the way of Vulcan. Um, so Jim doesn't really know if he should go do the mission or if he should um, grant Spock his leave on Vulcan. And the difficult thing is that there's an a- uh, Admiral that Jim consults and that is Admiral Komak And he specifically, explicitly states that the Enterprise is to go to Alter 6 and not to Vulcan to, you know, attend some Diplomatic event. Um, to be honest with you. I did not pay that much attention. I don't remember
0: which kind of. Was it like a peace treaty signing or something? I think it was something like a peace. I don't know. Peace treaty or like something with like the people on Altair. Is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah, I think. Um, so. They. I don't know. They had like some civil. I don't know. Unrest or something. I'm not entirely sure. And the funny thing is like they're like three starships that are supposed to go there that's the only thing i remember from like the diplomatic stuff that's right jim states
1: that he says that it's supposed to be a very big thing a big deal that so many ships are there and that but they're basically not needed on the planet so what happens is spock actually begs jim to lock him away because he does not want anyone to see him in the way he behaves and how he loses control Um, but Jim wants him to go to sickbay because he's very worried, he thinks he's sick and that McCoy should look him over McCoy then describes Spock as eventually when he does go to the examination he describes Spock as very still, very restless, very nervous and he explains that there is a growing imbalance of body functions and He behaves as if huge amounts of adrenaline are actually pumped into his bloodstream. Which is why he is on edge. So it continues. And there is a scene that we probably all remember about this. Where Spock and Jim talk in Spock's cabin. Jim confronts him about everything that is going on. And it's super funny because... Obviously, back in 1967, they couldn't say the word sex life <laughs> on TV. So what they had to do is talk about, and I quote, Vulcan biology. The biology of Vulcans. You mean Vulcan reproduction? And Spock is obviously very embarrassed to be talking about this with Jim, his CO. And he asked him at one point, it's my favorite line in the entire episode. How Vulcans choose their mates, haven't you wondered... And then the camera pans to Jim and he looks very, let's say, alarmed. <laughs> I love it. It's just like, he's like, were I supposed to be wondering? Was I was I not supposed to be wondering? What is the right answer? here? He looks very unsure, you know. I know he has wondered about that. Who hasn't? The whole crew has probably gossiped
0: about that, right? I mean, yeah, the entire crew and also like, Kirk has a thing for Spock. So of course he wondered. Of course he did. So...
1: Um, after that Spock is still very clearly distressed. I know I've been saying that a lot, but that is like a thing they make very, very clear throughout the whole episode. I think Leonard Nimoy's acting in this episode is actually pretty good because he makes a clear distinction between Spock being calm and collected at the end of the episode when everything is over and at the beginning and throughout the episode where he gets worse and worse in his loss of control and also in the way he behaves around Jim.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have to imagine he punches the computer. Yes, after, um, I think there's
1: like a transmission for him, right? Mm-hmm. Umura is calling him from the bridge and he says he does not want to be disturbed. And then he just, his fist goes through the computer. It's, it's quite a scene. Mm-hmm. A feat of strength, you might say. <laughs> So, yes, Jim is very sympathetic to Spock's condition and he very clearly wants to help him. He is determined to get Spock to Vulcan. Like I said, he even ignores um, Comac's orders for them to immediately go to Altair 6. So, what he says in that scene actually really touched me. He says, I cannot let Spock die, can I, Bones? And that is so, I think it's 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 beautiful, like... He owes him his life, you know. They've, they've basically only known each other for a year in canon at that point, but they're already so very close. He says, I owe him my life a dozen times over. Isn't that worth the career? So we learned in season one of Star Trek that nothing is more important to Jim than his career and his ship and... I don't know. Do you remember The Naked Time? Is it The Naked Time or The Naked Now? I know we already wandered on this podcast.
0: I think it's The Naked Time and Tio, no, not Tio, it's TNG, TNG, right? So that would now. be The Naked
1: Now? I think. So let's say In The Naked Now, <laughs> on good faith, In The Naked Now, um, when everyone has their emotional outburst due to being drunk of, of a space virus, Jim very clearly says that the Enterprise always takes from him and that she's like a woman that he's in like a relationship with, that he always has to give his love and his energy to. So that is the most important thing for him. But now, a year later, he says that it's worth it to lose his his career just to save Spock's life and just...
0: Yeah, that's just amazing. That makes me very emo. Yeah, and I just googled it and The Naked Now is TNG, so it's The Naked Time. Really? Yeah, The Naked Now. So we were right. Okay. I just wanted to confirm very we were good. right. <laughs> very
1: good. Yeah, listen, like I said, scrambled brains today. We're having fun. <laughs> okay, so um, <laughs> we're just skipping a little bit because, like I said, there's a lot of back and forth and nothing really happens except for people talking to each other and different locations around the ship
0: yeah except like one scene that was really important to me it's like the b storyline is when um Chekhov who is to Netflix viewers like the first time he's introduced with his amazing hair like oh that hairstyle peak um when he and Zulu are talking and they're like yeah first I have to go there and then I have to go there and they're bitching and I feel like that's what everyone feels like if you have like two bosses who keep telling you opposite things i i relied like i, I just i felt something in that moment it's a really important scene to me
1: yeah i think a lot of the time zulu and chekov actually like the viewer inserts because they are like commenting on what happens on the bridge and you know the hair giving each other the side eye being like ah, you see that yeah me too okay let's just pretend nothing happened to move on <laughs> it's hilarious yeah so um Spock basically at one point he explains what's going on more or less. He's still being very vague about it. I don't think that Jim and Bones have a lot of clues about what's going on. and um, But Spock wants them down with him on Vulcan. Because what he says is that they're his closest friends. He says it in his words but that's basically what he says. And that he wants them to be with him in this you know important moment of his life. A little later, um, Tipring calls the Enterprise and there's this scene with, <laughs> what what is it? N- never touching, never and always touching and be touched. It's very, you know, for Vulcans being very non-emotional, that is a very emotional line. I feel like there's a few of those gems throughout the episode where Vulcan cu- culture is concerned. And what I was thought was noteworthy in that, Scene was that Uhura she asked because Tipring she appears on the view screen and she everyone asks who is that? No one's ever seen her before, obviously. And Spock says it's Tripring, she who is my wife, something mm. along those lines. And Uhura just makes hard eyes at her and says she's lovely. And that has actually also inspired a lot of people to ship Tipring and Uhura, which I think is amazing. I would, you know, read or watch something about them, like think that's cute
0: they're really cute together especially i've seen so much fan art on tumblr yes so much it's amazing they're like you guys are so talented
1: everyone who makes fan art writes fan fiction like creates any kind of fan content you go people because we love consuming that shit yeah it's the good stuff so yes like i said to bring she's spock's wife she calls him down and then on the planet i skipped a lot of stuff in my rewatch because there's a lot of just ritual stuff there's a lot of gongs and (laughs) (laughs) rattles and all kinds of interesting vulcan fashion and instruments and ritual and i am sure there's a reason for that that i don't really understand i think it probably has a cultural significance but let's just say it's not relevant in this moment right now so um what happens on the planet on vulcan is that instead of going for Spock in the marriage Tipping chooses to challenge the bond but Spock has already gone into Black Tau which is the blood fever he is out of it he is not himself he basically doesn't have any control about what happens to him or with him so Tipping is left to choose a champion for her challenge and everyone thinks it's the guy she came with, right? Ston he's her boyfriend, I guess (laughs) <laughs> and i think he i think he even thinks so himself that he is going to be chosen because he says it has been decided beforehand but nope what does shipping do she actually chooses jim <laughs> everyone's very surprised by that <laughs> especially jim himself he did not think he had to fight anyone or anything and spock although he is in black towel, what's important is to note that he says not with him his blood does not burn. He's my friend. So he doesn't want to fight Jim to the death. Obviously he's his friend. Why would he want to do that right. And then people. The scene has arrived. That we have all been waiting for. It's the infamous. the f- They fight to the death. In the sacred sense of a Vulcan scene. It is a very homoerotically charged scene
0: <laughs> it is yeah it is and i just wanted to add one thing you kind of i don't know if you forgot it if you were going to mention it later one thing like no one knows when jim is being challenged that they have to fight to death that's yes. something like he he's basically handed a weapon is like yeah you have to fight each other and they're like yeah i can just give up he like he tells that um bones and later on, they're like, no, it's it's a, it's a challenge to death. Like, whoever dies basically loses. And he's just like, what? Why did no one tell me this? Yeah, that's true. No one
1: told him uh, not to power, not anyone to power for... I think I forgot to mention she's the... No, I think... It doesn't matter. She's the matriarch of Sbox clan. She is, you know, she says what goes. So... <laughs> very important to note, the first action in the (laughs) fight scene is Spock swings his, I I forgot what it's called, it looks like an axe, but the handle is like on top, like the, the blade is on top of a handle, so it looks, like look it up, it looks hilarious. So with that weapon, he slashes Spock, no, Kirk's uniform, and right across, you know, his chest area so he's freeing the nipple he's freeing the nipple (laughs) and it is hilarious because it looks like a boob window (laughs) It (laughs) it sure does yeah um so at some point there's a break and bones is like you know Jim has an unfair disadvantage here because the air in Vulcan is very hot, it's very thin. Spock is used to that, but Jim isn't, so he's at a disadvantage. So what he says is that he's giving him him a hypo for it, the thin air so that he can actually make it through this whole challenge. Um, and he tells Jim that he's giving him a triax compound. It's techno I don't think it actually means anything. Um... So the thing goes on. They change weapons in what looks like a like fashion scarf from the early two thousands. <laughs> it even glitters. What I noticed in my rewatch is that everything kind of glitters on Vulcan. Everything's kind of sparkly.
0: Yeah, I think it like it's weird, but at the same time, it's kind of fitting because even though they always pretend like they're so logical and everything, they're really like a melodramatic species, you they know, really with are. their clothing and like the the I don't know jewelry they're wearing. So. It's, it's fitting and I think it's just it adds, it adds this I don't know, drama to the scene.
1: I think so too. There's, this is a very dramatic scene in general and this just amps it up once more. So second round of fighting they have these weird things that they swing around and they're grinding once more into the sands and eventually Spock killed Jim and you know he's out of it mccoy comes and declares him as a dead and what happens after that is that spock is all of a sudden done with this black toe. he's very somber again he you see his emotional pain in his eyes for having killed his best friend it's very it's very emotional i'm pretty sure that like leonard nimoy said he had to fight tears in that moment while filming and i think yeah that's makes me very emotional too so um, after everything's said and done um, Spock talks to Tipring and Ston about you know why T'pring wanted to do that I think Alex is gonna talk a little bit more about the significance of that scene and about T'pring's character in general which is gonna be interesting and um, before he beams up to the ship he talks to Tipau once more and she tells him to live long and prosper and what he retorts is I shall do neither I've killed my captain my friend and you know that is quite the statement like we said vulcans are very melodramatic but as far as that goes that is a heavy thing to say don't you think so um back in sickbay up on the ship spock wants to resign his post as first officer or at that moment commanding officer of the enterprise because he still thinks he killed jim but surprise, surprise, as he says that he wants to give command back to Lieutenant Commander Scott. Shout out to Scotty. I love him. He's one of my <laughs> favorite characters. <laughs> um he turns around because someone says, Shouldn't you check with me first? And it's Jim. Jim's alive. Turns out that McCoy has actually given him a what is it? Like neural Oh my poison. god. Neural something, something. Basically it was like his neural system was supposed to play that and everyone believed it so in that moment spock has a very very strong reaction he smiles he loves he says jim he like almost picks him up and swings him around yeah. it, it looks like that's what he's going for isn't it and you know everything's over spock's ponfire is over mccoy even asked him once you know, what about the girl? What about the wedding? And Spock is like, Mom, it turns out after I thought I killed the captain, my blood fever was cured. I'm all good to go. And yeah, because he thought he'd killed Jim. And then McCoy like talks to him about his emotional reaction because he almost brought brought the house down. That's a direct quote from the show. I just think sometimes <laughs> the things they say is it's hilarious. And was like no it was just like a very logical reaction because you know starfleet hasn't lost one of their best commanding officers and jim is kind of smirking he's looking at spock being like i know what you mean and mccoy says yeah indeed very logical and they turn around and he says in a pig's eye and that is basically like the last thing that happens in the episode i skipped over some parts that i didn't think were very relevant to what we're talking about but that's basically it
0: yeah, I just noticed like when I was re-watching the episode, I noticed one thing. I don't know why, but I felt like the reaction of McCoy was so weird when he, they were like in sickbay and he was like, what about the girl? What about this? He's like such a gossip. He is. That's something I read a Tumblr post on that today where everyone was like, yeah, of course he's the gossip. He knows everything. He has to do so many like, I don't know, procedures, especially like routine procedures. He probably talks to people. He's a good person. So I'm like, he probably knows everything that's happening on this ship.
1: He probably does. You know, he has a very good bedside manner. Talking to people, it falls into that, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so what we want to talk about now are things that stood out to us in the episode that are relevant to fandom culture and have inspired
0: fandom culture. Isn't that right? Yeah, and also maybe a little bit like the relationship between like Kirk and Spock. Yes, so let's go. Okay, I just want to start with one quote, which I feel like describes like Spock's, I don't know, not mental state, like maybe his emotional state, even though he's Vulcan and he technically, you know... Um, I really loved when he spoke to stone and he was like, after a time, this is after, like, he thinks he killed Kirk and everything. And he's like, after a time, you may find that having is not so pleasing a thing after all as wanting. If it is not logical, but it is often true. And I don't know, I feel like this really describes Box because I always have the feeling he wants so much. He wants to have that human connection. He wants to have that connection with the crew, with, like, Jim, with Bones. But it's like really difficult for him, of course, because he's walking and like he's not really in control or like in touch with his emotions as humans are. And I think that's just really speaks to his character. And I love that quote. I was like, oh, I love that quote, too. You
1: wouldn't think that is something that comes from Spock, right? That he openly says on his own planet around his own people. Yeah. And no human was around. That's like the crazy thing to me. Yeah, that's true. I want to interject something that... I know we're not talking about Star Trek Discovery right now, but I think that is something that you see in his character development throughout the first two seasons of the show. How he... Well, he's only in the second season, but you know what I mean. He, like, gets more in touch with his emotions and he becomes more at peace with them. And I think that is something that we see in this episode as well. He, at this point, he's been through a lot of, like, turmoil and losing his control he thought he killed his captain and but at this moment he's very in touch with how he feels i think because you know it's not worth it to deny it anymore he thinks he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison because he killed his commanding officer <laughs> or
0: so I was wondering about that, because what would Starfleet say? Because, I mean, technically, Jim agreed to participate in that. He consented to be killed. Yeah, he consented to be murdered, basically. And of course, like, you can argue, like, he didn't know what was happening. But at the end of the day, especially with the Prime Directive, they always say, don't interfere with other cultures. Would that be an interference? Because it's also Starfleet, but at the same time, like, it's Vulcan. I'm really confused about that. Do you think it
1: counts as one of his five prime directive violations? Maybe. (laughs) He has... I know he's had more than five, but I think that's what they quote in Star Trek IV? Mm. At the end of
0: that movie? Yeah, I think...
1: When they demote him. (laughs) Spoilers for Star Trek IV, I think. I mean, that movie is old. It's from the (laughs) 80s?
0: (laughs) 80s, I think, yeah.
1: okay. Yeah, I think, yeah, like it we got gotten
0: off track, but that is a very beautiful quote. And yes, I just keep, love it so much. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. And other than that, I mean, of course, one thing we all like, maybe you don't, but one thing Paula and I know is like how important the Star Trek fandom like was for the development of fandoms in general. Like we wouldn't have what we have nowadays. We wouldn't have this podcast. We wouldn't have fan art. We wouldn't have fan fiction. All these things all developed. Over the course of, I don't know, the last 50 years, I think. And I think like this episode in general, like you have to imagine like women back then decided we're going to write fanfiction on this. We're going to spend time on this in, a, in like in a world where no one else did. And that's not even an exaggeration. Like no one else wrote fanfiction. They send it to each other, which I think is so adorable. Yes, I actually
1: have some information on that. Yes. That I want to point out here. Um, the episode actually inspired the first slash story ever, as far as anyone knows today. It's called The Ring of Sochern. I want to say. I hope I didn't butcher that. And it deals specifically with Ponfar. And the article said it was privately circulated. So what Alex said, they sent it around as soon as 1967. So someone watched this episode Oh, I did not write down the name of the author, and I'm very sorry for that. Do you wanna quickly look it yeah, up? Yeah, I
0: can Google it if you like.
1: Yes, I keep talking. Yeah, and um, so yeah, that was the first slash fiction, and I don't know if you guys know, but the term slash fiction actually originates from the slash between K slash S, so Kirk slash Spock. That is what inspired it, and you know, after that, there were a lot of Ponfar far in a f- cave fan fictions that have been sent around it inspired a bunch more fan works and alex and me actually looked some of them up earlier there are interesting fan videos out (laughs) there if you just google fan vids i mock time you'll you have the time of your life let's just say
0: yeah i found out like the author's name is jennifer godridge
1: all right there we have it so yeah lots of fan works have been inspired by this one i think that's impressive
0: it's really impressive. I mean, it's just, and it's also so adorable. I don't know. I can't get over the fact that it's just so heartwarming. I don't know. I just love these kinds of things when people come together and share stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, they share stuff. There's a community bit of, of just things, you know. It's it's beautiful. I read that Leonard Nimoy said that after Amok Time was aired for the first time, the amount of fan letters he got rose from 400 a week to Ten thousand fan letters a week jesus that is Christ. unbelievable
0: right wow that is amazing like i mean you told me that before we like started recording yes. but i am still blown away especially like you had to answer back then like I, of course he had like probably someone working for him because everyone has but it was still the 60s and you have to read that and you yeah. want i think he was the kind of person who wanted to read it you know i think so too yes yeah no one thing like to me as i said i'm a history geek so i'm always looking for a little bit like what was like the impact or whatever and one thing i found was really interesting was this idea of mate or die which (laughs) i don't know i didn't even know that was a thing like has a term but that was something not Hmm? you did not i mean i was aware of it but i never thought that people would actually write like Scientific papers on that, like in like film theory and oh, stuff.
1: Yeah, I didn't know there were like scientific papers on that, but I know there's like a ton of fan fiction with like yeah. that trope about like, let's call it made or die. I yeah,
0: mean, no. we can we can swear on this. Let's call it what it is. It's fuck or die. I mean, yeah, of course I knew that, but I wasn't aware that this is also something like professionals spend their time on. I'm not talking down like on fan yeah, fiction, yeah. but fan fiction it's mostly a hobby. So what I was f- like, I found that really interesting, especially because this trope has been also applied to so many different medias. We have like an episode of Skins um, where, I don't know, I don't know the show, but Effie either has to sleep with Tony or she dies of a heroin overdose. Which <laughs> I don't know what's going on in that show, but I mean, I think she just needs therapy. And we also have, for example, the movie Crank with Jason Statham, where he has to like keep his adrenaline level really up. Or he dies. And this is something I found really interesting. I was like oh my god. I didn't know that existed. And also one thing we had. Is of course the portrayal of like Ti ping Um, As I said before. Like the 1960s were famous for the sexual revolution. And the independence of women. Like um, women's marches. And like striving for equality. We have a time for example in Germany. It was 10 years later. But they legalized certain things for women who were married. And all these kind of things were happening. And so Ti ping who actually like says she wants to be independent and she makes that choice for herself that was something extremely revolutionary because we've never had that before so that really stood out because she to me I mean she seems really cold like in the scene in terms of like she's really calculating but at the same time she's walking so it really fits her character and I found like she really stood out to me
1: yeah same and I even read earlier that the actress thought that her dress it's like a dress that has a lot of silver wire incorporated into it and she thought that it looked like a maternity dress so what she had canon for her character she probably didn't say it like this but it's the terms we would use today she had Canon for a character that she was pregnant, and she played it that way. I think that's really cool because yeah. that is would be basically the first depiction of a woman being pregnant but not married. I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah, and also like pregnant women, especially in that time, were always something so dependent on the like the man, the husband, and I think that's just really cool to have her like if, if that's how she thought of herself in that moment, like the actress. It's something so interesting because. I don't know it's just so cool to think about like her being pregnant but still being in a position of power. Definitely and I
1: think I really liked the scene between Spock and her at the end of the episode where he asks her for her motivation to do it and she calmly explained to him well you know you're famous you're well-known amongst our people. I don't just want to be your wife. I want to be my own person. And that's why I don't want to marry you. And he's like, well, yeah, you know what? It makes sense for me. This is logical. And he, you know, he congratulates her on being this logical and for figuring this out by herself. And he wishes her and Ston luck in their relationship. I yeah. think
0: that was a really cool scene. Yeah. Spark is like a really good dude. That's he's like, just I a mean, dude. We knew. We knew. But still, new. that like really confirms it. Another thing um, I, like, noticed, because I also did, like, research on, like, the Spurk relationship, and <laughs> I found this really amazing thing. It's an essay. It's from Elizabeth Wallich, and it's called From Kirk and Spock to K S, Decoding of Spurk Interactions, and it's an academic essay using the, let me check, what's his name, um, Morley's four-process model of decoding, which is based on, like, the elements of communication, like... What is the message, send the sender, receiver, something K- Paul and I were really familiar with. We studied this. So I ha- immediately had to think of that one thing, the less well formal, which is who says what in which channel to whom with what effect. And that's basically what this model of behavior something something is. Um, the, the coding is based on like looking into communications. And she's really like writing about the homoerotic elements of Star Trek and she describes them always as subtextual and latent um, and she compares them to Shakespeare's sonnets. Interesting. The, yeah, because they're the same, like the, the difficulty to analyze them is similar to Shakespeare's sonnets because Shakespeare, like, that's something you might not have learned in school because no one talks about that, but Shakespeare was not a straight man. Um, there are many, many sonnets. Like many, many science, scientists and I don't know academics um, are thinking that he might have been bisexual. So they always try to like not always a certain part of like the academic I don't know world tries to read his sonnets like written for a man. And I think that's just really cool. And she always said that, let me read um, that the interactions always empathize the loyalty and friendship and love between Kirk and Spock. And that's something they did with, like, looks and sometimes touching, which is really, like, Kirk sometimes touches Spock, which is, like, not something you do to a Vulcan, because Vulcans are really, like, they like their personal bubble. They don't like you touching them.
1: No, it's because they touch telepaths. We learned that early on in the show. And I think it's also probably not something you would do in, like, a professional environment either. No, He's a CO, but... uh, Yeah, I just love those little interactions where he, like, puts his hand on Spock's arm or they look at each other and you know that they just know what's going Mm -hmm. on. They can read each other so well. It's, yeah, it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, and she also talks about, like, the, the way Kirk and Spock look at each other because she describes it, like, similar to men who stare at women because men stare at women, women submit to being looked at or at most steal a glance. This is not in terms of, like, real behavior because like morals and behaviors have changed especially in the last I don't know 50 years but like especially in media that's something you will find all over and that really applies to Kirk and Spock if you like try to take a look at it and you just see the scenes you're like oh my god because Kirk is basically staring at Spock and Spock is always submitting to his glance and I thought that was so cool that someone actually took the time and looked at this and was like yeah we can like put This model of decoding interactions on it and find evidence that the interactions between Spock and Kirk are similar to, I don't know, a woman and a man. At least back in the day, a woman and a man and something we have in mainstream media all the time. Yeah, that is fascinating, as someone would say. Yeah. Did you have anything else you noticed by watching? I think that might have been it for the most part for me. I don't know oh I took a look at my notes again and one thing I might add is like homosexuality especially until the 1950s was always portrayed as something really one-dimensional not only until the 1950s I mean we all know the trope of the gay best friend who is quirky and sassy and oh I mean everyone has seen seen at least one or two movies with this trope in it and she um like in my research I found that that's something that if you read it, if you decide to read it as a gay love story, at least this episode, Amok Time, it's something really rev- revolutionary because it's something we don't always have and we didn't have for a really long time because the sassy gay friend and then you have the black aggressive lesbian and all these kinds of stereotypes and tropes that we still have in modern like cinema and um, TV shows.
1: Yeah, that's revolutionary. You're right about that. Well, I think we talked about a lot of the significance of this episode and we're pretty good on the time we're at 45-ish minutes right now so what do you say should we play a little game before we end this
0: yes and I wanted to add one more thing I just found my notes <laughs> this was the first episode to tell the Vulcan salute was introduced
1: yes 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 That is right. Mm -hmm. I read
0: that too. And also the first
1: time they said live long and prosper on the show. Yes. Tepau says it to Spock, who then declines to do so. (laughs) He's like, no, bitch, I'm I'm fucked. (laughs) This is it for me. This is it. So what do you what do you think? Wait, before we play our game, I want to ask you, what do you think about the whole thing? What do you think? Why did Spock actually get through his? plucked out through his ponfar just by fighting jim and winning
0: i think it's mostly like the rolling around in the sand which really did it for him i mean i'm sorry but this looks like dry humping most of the time like there's i have gifs on it on my phone um yeah it's weirdly sexual and i don't like go for it i mean you do you but that's like i mean i wouldn't be surprised if that was one of like his outlet you know what about you
1: in hindsight, I think it's so weird because there's a lot of discussion about the homoerotic subtext of Star Trek right now because of all the new stuff coming out. And, you know, there's new discussion about the characters. And some person who should never be named on this podcast <laughs> has said, What? No, there's never been any gay intentions in Star Trek. And I'm like, Sorry. Don't listen to this if you don't like me swearing, but you stupid fucking bitch, how you played it that way. You, you, you choose to play this in a very intimate, very warm relationship with another man, someone who happens to be a man. If Spock would have been a woman, if you would have had the same dynamic as in the first pilot with Number one in Pike, I'm sure there would have been a kiss in there somewhere.
0: Yeah, and I just wanted to say, like, she's talking about Bill now. Like, I think we have to say it just for, like, context. Yes, I know. We he's tweeting. He's, like, he's doing the J.K. Rowley thing of, like, being let loose on Twitter.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's an old, old person who probably doesn't think a lot about what he says online. But let me just say, I sometimes rant for hours to Alex You know, there's this rumor that has been circling around about new, no, what am I saying? Strange new words. And apparently they want to pick up some of the old TOS characters and someone leaked that there might be a possibility for Jim being a bisexual character on the show. And let me just tell you, Mr. Shatner did not like that because I guess he was, he felt attacked in
0: his straight manliness i'm not quite sure i don't know but like that's like if you're interested in that and if you think you want to i don't know read up on that and like expose yourself to that type of like i think negativity because he's a really negative person on that topic yes um you can like just go on his twitter read up on this like form your own opinion i mean you do you Um, if you don't think you want to read that because you're like no i don't want to have that in my life that's also totally fine totally fine yes but yeah. yeah, I just want to
1: mention that because that is something that is, has, for us at least right now, been very current, a lot on our minds and definitely something that we wanted to quickly discuss. No, back to our original question. We have gotten off track. No, I have gotten off track. <laughs> I know that. Um, I think what did it for him was probably the emotional release of sadness, to say it, of grief, because... Yeah. You know, like, he's deep in Plucktown. He doesn't really know what's going on. But then, all of a sudden, Jim is not there anymore. And I don't know if y'all um are too familiar with this, but actually Gene Roddenberry, after the show was over, just as the first movie, The Motion Picture, came out, he described the relationship between Spock and Jim to be more than friends. He didn't specifically say it, but... There's something that I cannot pronounce. It's called Tyler, Tehila, I think. Maybe like
0: Tehila. Te- te- I think
1: people have said it might have been pronounced like basically like the name Tyler. Tyler. <laughs> I, that
0: can't be right though. I mean, because I it's like T-Ping, it's te Pao. it can't be like Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, well, what it means basically is
1: a friend, brother, lover... And so they have a telepathic bond between them that goes back as far as the pre-reform Vulcan. It's a bond between warriors that has been forged during battle. So that means they do have a psychic connection. I'm not quite sure if it exists by that point in the show because I'm not sure if they have had a mind melt in season one. Oh, I don't know. But I I think like the bond like spontaneously formed between them um, during their first mind mail because their minds were just so compatible you know just straight friends being dudes I guess <laughs> <laughs> um, that sounds very yeah unattached such friends um, so yeah I think he might have actually felt that bond be severed at that point and that is what got him out of his stupor out of his blood fever that is my headcanon anyway you know I'm always here for a good headcanon though. <laughs> Alex is looking up what
0: Yeah, I'm trying to find um the first mind melt between Spock and Kirk and then I completely forgot that Enterprise plays I mean in like in Universe, the show Enterprise Plays before um TOS. So I found information on Enterprise <laughs> but not on TOS. Just give me a second.
1: Um I mean you can just talk. I can talk about things. Yeah, I can talk about the way
0: that. Oh, we actually have one. Apparently, awesome. Um, in the episode "Dagger of the Mind" in TOS episode one season, no, <laughs> episode <laughs> ten season one, um, which was released in 1966. Apparently, there is a mind meld in there. But I have like loads and loads of advertisement here because so that's how mean- the internet works nowadays. But yeah, apparently there is like a mind meld in that episode.
1: Okay, cool. So my headcanon is that their mental bond had actually formed by the point and he was snapped out of his ponfire by their bond being severed. Yeah. I think that is also something that is discussed in the novelizations of the um, TOS movies and I think it might have been Generations or something that came afterwards. Yeah, it's a movie we don't talk about. Listen, (laughs) it's the worst Star Trek movie. That in Nemesis. Um, So... I think that he like felt him dying which is extremely freaking sad and let's not think about that but yeah i think that i have played a role so now that we're done talking about sad things um let's
0: liven it back up a little bit and play around of not quite fuck miracle. yeah um for those of you listening for the first time if that is the case welcome we, we're not playing Fuck Miracle, Kill, we're playing a, like a different version of it. We play with three categories, which is trapped in an elevator with them for 10 hours without getting out, having them as a lab partner for an entire semester and having them be your employee trainer at your new job at McDonald's. And I don't know, do you want to start to give me names? Yes, I have three names for
1: you. Um, just as a context for y'all, we have actually written them down before. So if any of those
0: overlap, so be it. Yeah, I think I asked her twice for Seven of Nine, <laughs> which I, think, I didn't yeah, realize. Yeah, I think we might have...
1: Like, listen, I know I've talked... I We just edited these episodes today and I realized that I talk about Seven a lot. I talk about Jitsia a lot. So I want to apologize mm-hmm. to people
0: do we have to apologize no we don't you know this is a
1: queer star trek podcast i can you know appreciate respectfully all the women i want okay so my names for you are our favorite person commander william Riker. oh yeah alex is just wearing a star trek next generation shirt that i got her for her birthday and you know i see it i see him from here yeah I'm not looking at your boobs as well. It's just
0: he's in my, <laughs> he's in my eyeline. <laughs> this is the assault story of the episode. <laughs> this is now a true crime podcast. <laughs> we always like there's this one podcast. Paula listens to it. Like I also listen to them, but Paula listens to them much more. And they always joke about how it's going to be a true true crime po- podcast at some point because one of them gets murdered
1: by William Shatner.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and now like this is our true crime. This is our true crime story. I would never
1: just stating that. Yeah, I'm a very respectful person. She so, is. Yes. So, yeah, we're we're just we're just <laughs> not in it today, are we? We just.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's like still thirty degrees Celsius. It's I don't even know what's that in Fahrenheit. It's warm. It's hot. I'm sweating. It is extremely hot. Yes, and we're like
1: in North Germany. It does not get
0: this hot up here. <laughs> no. Okay. Yes, you gave me Riker. Commander Riker.
1: The second one is Luaxana Troy. Oh, yes. A character that I know you enjoy watching a lot, and the last character is one of our faves, Scotty.
0: Oh, Scotty. Okay. Um Okay, let me think about that. I don't know. I think I would like Oh, this is difficult because I love them all so much. This is so Oh my god, I feel so bad because mine's mine are like so different. <laughs> You'll see. Um I think I would want, maybe, because I just watched the episode where Odo is trapped in the elevator with Loxana.
1: That inspired my choice to give her to you.
0: I love that. And I think after that, even though they had a really, really sweet and like great moment in the, I don't know, show... Um, in the episode I didn't want to have that so I think I would have Loxana maybe as my trainer because she might be sometimes a little bit inappropriate but she can also read my mind so she will know if I'm doing something wrong and I don't necessarily know it so she can correct me on that and maybe I mean it could suck because she could also tell me like stop daydreaming go back to work (laughs) but I mean at least like as long as I'm doing something and I think um yeah maybe I don't know, being an elevator with Riker because I think I would want to have Scotty as my lab partner because, as I said before, I'm not great at, like, natural sciences. Two, he's an engineering genius.
1: He should know what's going on in then, at least in physics, I think. Yeah. Probably I mean, also in
0: chemistry. I mean, he knows. Yeah, Scotty. He, he, he's amazing. Yes, so he's yeah, amazing. He's a genius. And, yeah, I mean, Riker, he's just a pleasant person to be around. He's one of my most favorite, like, characters. He's one of my most favorite like first characters i had my first crush he's our original dude yeah he's a dude so i would like love to spend uh, 10 hours with him and just talk to him he, he's a n- nice guy Same. yeah okay shout no. out to jonathan frakes at this
1: point we also forgot to shout out carl Urban next in the last episode yeah. and we want to apologize for that just know we still love him
0: yeah and if if you're still listening carl <laughs>
1: I thought you might do a Kiwi accent and I was like prepared for that right now.
0: I I don't think I can do that. I can do like a fake British one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Please don't. I could probably do a Kiwi accent. I lived in New Zealand for a year, but I I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings right now. Yeah, that's my job. Let's not do that.
0: Okay, my three characters are (laughs) really different. The first one is T-Ping. Okay, Ti ping yeah. The second one (laughs) I googled aliens Star Trek alien <laughs> characters before this and <laughs> they're not as crazy as you might think my second one is Nero from the Nero? A- Nero from the AOS movies <laughs> mm. <laughs> and the third one is from that one episode <laughs> where he tries to steal the Enterprise Apollo <laughs> and I want you <laughs> to make a choice <laughs> tell me what's your answer <laughs>
1: so i guess we have three antagonists in this which is interesting because (laughs) how the fuck am i supposed to choose just go for it oh my god okay so i think i would want to bring as my lab partner because i think she's a vulcan and she's highly intelligent and she wouldn't try to kill me (laughs) which helps and that helps a lot sorry oh god we're through with it today it's not even that late <laughs> no. okay so I would want to bring as my lab partner and I w- guess I'd be stuck in an elevator with Nero <laughs> in the case that he does not have a phaser on him and that the elevator isn't situated on the Enterprise which he wants to blow up or on Earth which he also wants to blow up or on Vulcan which <laughs> he did actually blow no. up you could just pretend to be a Romulan, just put on your best shoulder pads and let's go. Yeah, the shoulder pads, the eyebrows, the ears.
0: Just oh go my for God, it. That
1: reminds me of that one episode in season two of Star Trek where they like make Jim into a Romulan yeah. commander. <laughs> that one was bad. It was a funny episode, but you know everyone was pretty unhinged in that one. So yeah, I guess if I sh- if I can pass as a Romulan, I'll survive those ten <laughs> hours. And I guess Apollo is now <laughs> my employee trainer at McDonald's. So- <laughs> so he would constantly try to hit on you. You just know. Yeah, maybe I can file like a sexual harassment claim and get rid of him. Maybe if that's how it works. Maybe. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Well. That was an interesting round.
0: <laughs> Very different than the other ones so far. Um, It had some system to it. Yeah, the idea behind that was, I was thinking about putting Galileo Galilei in because he made a cameo in one of, like... He, he made, made a cameo
1: in a lot of episodes. Yeah. He was yeah. actually on a lot of Voyager episodes in, I think, Season 3.
0: Yeah, and I thought about maybe doing historical characters because Apollo, of course, is, like, the god. Yeah. Then we have Nero, who was... A difficult personality <laughs> in real life. <laughs> Let's leave it there. And Galileo Galilei also exists. But I was like, yeah, I can do that. So I chose T-Ping to have a connection to this yeah. episode. Very good.
1: Very good indeed. Fun fact, did you know that uh, Galileo in the Voyager episodes is actually played by the actor that plays Gimli in Lord of the Rings? I did not know that. I love it. It's all coming full circle.
0: Yeah. Oh my War God. Lord of amazing. the Rings. Shout out to Carl Urban for the second time this <laughs> episode. <laughs> we love him. Yeah. And now I have a really important question for you. Well, what is that question, Alex? Do you have a fuck-fuck for this episode?
1: I do actually have a fuck-fuck this week. And my fuck-fuck this week is Admiral Comack. Oh. You know, he just, he kind of almost killed Spock. (laughs) I mean, he didn't know Well, I think think that Jim told him that it's very important. Like, obviously, he could not um, betray his friend and tell the Admiral what is going on. But he made it pretty clear that it was urgent that they get to Vulcan and that there might be a life at stake. And Admiral Komak, he did not give a fuck. (laughs) He sent uh, the Enterprise to Alter 6 anyway. But at the end of the episode, um, there's a subspace communication coming through for the Enterprise. Where the request has actually been granted for them to go to Vulcan. Because Tipau, a very, very important member of the Vulcan Council she talked to starfleet command so no i don't like Admiral Komek. i think he's always like when i read fan fiction or whatever he's always a scapegoat he's like one of the admirals that no one likes everyone kind of hates him and yeah. now i know why he's he did not he wasn't very nice to anyone in that episode he was very you know he didn't care about the people
0: no he was just like diplomacy is important fuck you fuck your little welcome friend, you're going to Altair.
1: <laughs> Basically, yeah, that was the sentiment. So that is not a very nice person, don't you no, think?
0: yeah, I agree.
1: So Alex, what is your fuck-fuck of
0: this episode? I chose this fuck-fuck because I want to complain a little bit more. My fuck-fuck sure. this week is the fucking weather because I'm dying. <laughs> I am dying. I This is something people always are like, no, you're just exaggerating. I, I'm not. I hate the summer because I'm not a happy person when it's warm. I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to get like... I'm not going into how sweaty I am, but believe me, it's this not This could get growth very fast. Yeah. But it's just, I don't know, it's like bugs. You have like the heat. You can't go outside without having a heat stroke. I mean, we went um, to, uh, how, what's it called in English? Amusement park? Yeah. A, f- a few days ago. And we almost died. It was so hot. And it was really hot, yeah. Yeah. And the only reason why we didn't die was because we were in caps and like sunglasses. And of course our masks. where you mask, people even though it's hot and that's also a thing like if it were winter we wouldn't have that problem with like having sweaty hot air under the mask (laughs) i just don't like summer
1: no i mean me neither you know it's not very pleasant i am looking forward to the fall yeah also we're really into spooky things so halloween coming up
0: is always an exciting time of the year yeah i like spooky she likes horror that's like the big difference so, yeah, that's my fuck-fuck of this episode because I'm <laughs> suffering. Um, What's your dude of this episode? My dude of this episode is one of our
1: favorite CMOs, Dr. Leonard McCoy. Ah. Bones. I think he handles the whole situation with Spock very well. He, I don't think in this one episode he actually like insults him or anything. You know, it's friendly banter on his point. I sometimes feel kind of uncomfortable yeah. with it, though. Maybe something we have to address at one point or another. But um, he was very respectful. He really tries to help him. He's really concerned. And he accepts his invitation to go down to Vulcan with them. And then he tries to find a solution. He actually is a quick thinker in that moment. Where he gives Jim the paralyzing agent or whatever. That helps him survive. So yeah, he's a real dude in that episode. He's just a friend. Someone you can rely on.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I also, like, I went on Twitter after watching the episode and everyone was like, yeah, is this, like, canon now that Leon- uh, Leonard McCoy always has something on him to, like, pretend like he's dead? <laughs> is that, like, a thing? And I just, I admire him for that.
1: Same. You know, he's a character we love anyway. Yeah. All the iterations. Listen, This is a word I've never pronounced before. In all the versions we know him in.
0: Definitely, yes. Yeah, so Alex, what's your dude of this episode? I also have a Leonard, but I have a Leonard Nimoy. Oh, because I just Yeah, when I was reading, not reading, but and when I was watching the episode, I just remembered how much I love him. I actually read the book uh, Leonard by um, William Shatner because my mom gave it to me on one of my birthdays a few years ago. And it was really heartwarming because he's such a great person. He's so sweet, so caring. He always was... I don't know so behind on everything he always wanted to improve and he always wanted to show his love and he was so I don't know he was just really nice and great and not perfect but like in his imperfect ways perfect person and I just really love watching him act and I think that's why he's my dude of the week
1: yeah we love him we do okay so this is everything (laughs) we've got so far we're gonna now tell you how you can talk to us on social media Alex has the handles all written down
0: for you. Yeah, because I keep forgetting them, which is kind
1: of (laughs) embarrassing. Well, we haven't actually used them so far. We're still recording episodes in advance. We have not released anything yet. Like I said, today was editing day for the first two that we have so far. We picked out some music that you probably already heard.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is so weird. Like this is talking into the fourth dimension time. (laughs) This is breaking my head. So, yeah, you can find us on Instagram on the at deep underscore space underscore gay and also on Twitter. But you can find us on Twitter because Twitter did a weird thing under deep underscore gay. (laughs) We still (laughs) don't know how to change that. And I think we don't like we won't. No, we just keep it. This is how it is now. So, yeah, if you want to reach out to us, if you want to talk to us, if you want to tell us. This is how you pronounce t- t- Tyler. <laughs> <T-T-> Tyler. <laughs> t- I t- think. <laughs> I,
1: I think at some point when I was like really starting to get into TOS and into Spurg or K slash S or whatever you guys call it, I looked it up at some point if anyone actually knows how to pronounce it. And I think it has never been. It has never been spoken. It's just yeah. a word that's been written down in the novelization of the motion picture where Spock is like goodbye, my soulmate it's base. it means soulmate right yeah. we're all agreeing that they're soulmates
0: if you know how to pronounce it reach out to us if you don't know you can still reach out to us we're always happy to talk to you you guys i don't know maybe to y'all. It, is it guys um, yeah, to i'm yeah everyone just, i'm using guys as a non-gender term because just everything like to me is a guy
1: yeah especially like people <laughs> did we so far did we only have like male dudes no Last week I had you and Megan, so that were two people. And dudes. I also had your cat. Two mochen she's also.
0: And I don't want to, like, put a gender onto the weather. No. <laughs> that's weird. In German, it's actually a neutral word. It's das Wetter. So, yeah, um, these are, like, our social media handles. If you want to reach out, feel free to. And I think that's it for today. We're going to have dinner soon, and then I'm think I'm going to take a shower
1: again (laughs) yeah that's a good idea yeah so you know we'll talk to you next time bye bye until then bye